You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Typically, when you get a gift card, um, there's usually, uh, it depends on on the vendor, but sometimes there will be like a registration process. That's Jonathan Butler. He's the technical account team manager at Distal Networks, part of Imperva. The research we're discussing today is titled, Gift Ghostbot Attacks E-Commerce Gift Card Systems Across Major Online Retailers. But at that point, um, once it's registered or if it's already pre-registered, once you've purchased that and the cashier has approved it and all of that, Um, I mean, it's more or less money in the pocket for you to then go and buy products or services from from that particular retailer. And that's tied to the number on the gift card. Exactly. So just like a credit card, um, these gift cards will have an an integer, you know, a number on the back, uh, like 16 digits, that that more or less identifies that card um, to the actual money Um, sitting behind it. And then there will usually be like a pin associated to it to to additionally validate those funds. Mm, Okay. I was going to ask you about uh, the pin because unlike a credit card, for example, there's no expiration date or there's... I was thinking about numbers that have to match up for it to be able to work. Yeah, exactly. So when you go to, you know, validate the funds on this card, the, the systems are going to be able to read those digits and then validate against that with the, the additional pin that you can feed in 
on that thing, like a CID, CID pin or something like that. So that, that's how it's doing the validation to access the funds. I see. So the folks who are trying to hack this system, how are they going about that? So it's interesting because, you know, as a hacker who, who you know, me with the gift card in hand, right, I, I'm you know, non-malicious. I'm, I'm going to use that gift card and, and buy products and services with it at the retailer. But for an attacker, you know, an adversary who, who sees me as a target with the gift card, he, does, he or she won't necessarily know the, the number that associates those funds off top of head, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they, it ends up forcing this play by the adversary to effectively have to come up with guesses of those numbers. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening and where bots come into this whole space is that that adversary will go and write a bot or, or effectively a script that can go and target these you know, check balance services on a uh, retailer site and just start guessing, you know, hundreds, thousands, you know, upwards of millions if it's long enough and they've got the, the scale and, and um, support to do that. They can just start brute force guessing um, with no real rhyme or reason. But eventually, if they get enough guesses, the probability starts to increase drastically that, that they'll be able to more or less guess my card. And once they access it, they'll have full access to, um, to, to those funds. And so if they're guessing that number, do, are they also guessing the PIN as well? Yeah, exactly. So they're going to do the same enumeration process over both the, the card and the PIN as well. So, so they'll get, have the card number, and then they can just randomize and just start guessing um, at scale the, the, the PIN number as well and eventually crack that. Hmm. Now, from the retailer point of view, I mean, I put this functionality on my website as a, a good uh, gesture of customer service to the folks who are buying these gift cards. What am I going to see on my end? On your end, you would just see, you know, assuming you have the proper monitoring in place of your systems, you wouldn't necessarily know if it's a malicious request or not, short of you'd probably start seeing a bunch of validation requests coming in, right? So if you're looking at your traffic logs, you're going to see a huge spike on you know, the particular application call that goes and does that that gift card balance lookup, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we see these attacks too, that, that's typically what's happening or what, what cues it and gives it away is that the chart or the traffic logs will see a large surge particular to those calls. And, and so for retailers, it's really important to have, in general, just heightened visibility into some of the critical application functionality that you know will be a high value target for bot writers. So in this case, it'd be, you know, that, um, hey, I go to the site, I have my gift card, I, you know, do a quick search, hey, how can I check my gift card balance, go to the page, you'll put your numbers in, and when you click submit or, or check my balance, that's sending a call to the application behind the scenes where it's delivering the the number and the pin to the application application gets that feeds it back to the client says hey here's your balance Mm -hmm. um and so what you're really looking for is that surge in traffic on those particular validation requests or or the balance check requests and and that would be pretty clear if if the bot started targeting you you would you would and you were looking at these logs chances are you would know it I would say so. Um, obviously, it's it's all situational, but but typically you're not seeing a ton of traffic on those types of pages relative what, to what a, a bot writer is going to be doing to that thing. Um, so, so you would expect relatively 
low and stable volume. And usually the, the traffic patterns of these things is, you know, very predictable, right? Like it's going up and down with the peaks, of, you know, the on and off peaks of, of the website. Whereas when a bot writer comes in and runs their script against the site, you're going to see that thing just go up very drastically and, and anomalously. Well, let's dig into the research that you all did here, specifically with Gift Ghostbot. Mm -hmm. um, describe to us how are they going at these things? How they're going about them is in the Gift Ghostbot scenario. What we found is that this was a very coordinated uh, attack that targeted more than one retailer. So that alone implies that there was research and coordinated effort behind this thing, um, and so. You know, we had a particular customer call us and, and actually say, hey, thanks, you guys are, you know, more or less keeping this functionality alive on our site. Hmm. And, and when we dug into that more and more, we had realized that, hey, vendors, those particularly not being protected by Distill, were actually having to shut down that particular functionality on the application because it was becoming such a costly affair for them. It was such a high value target. Hmm. Now, is that is are they effectively being um, DDoSed by the number of requests that they're getting, or is it that so many gift cards are being compromised, or a little of both? I think it's a little bit of both. So, in the bot world, when you're talking about defending an application against it, it, it it's very much you know human in nature the way they respond, right? If you if they're having success and you put defense in front of them. It's very likely that they're going to, you know, it's like poking the, the, bee, the bee's nest of sorts. It's going to almost stir that, that botnet to spin up even more traffic. And so that's what we saw throughout the course of the GIF GhostBot attack is that as we started putting, you know, more and more in incremental defenses in front of this thing across all the different properties, uh, it actually was evolving throughout the course of the attack. So, so very early on in you know, these observations, it was very primitive, right? It wasn't doing a lot of things to necessarily obfuscate itself. And as it started to have you know, marginal success, it, we ended up having to throttle our defenses and put more and more um, advanced and sophisticated signatures in front of it. And as a result, we saw this thing evolve where it's distributing itself over more and more uh, uh, IPs. It started spoofing the browsers that it, it said that it was. It, it even went from going to desktop browsers over to mobile. And, and really interestingly, what we saw is that there were actually channels within the broader attack that, that was suggestive that there was more than one kind of player involved here, right? So over the evolution of the attack, we, we saw simplistic efforts kind of come and go, uh, both early in the phases of it and then coming back on the back end of it. Uh, and, and then the sophistication levels were kind of throttling and, and kind of grouped into a few different core behaviors over the course of this thing. So it was just really interesting to see how not only was it a researched and coordinated attack from the fact that it was just targeting many retailers, and particularly what we saw was in the clothing and, and fashion space, but that there might have even been multiple players involved where, where you know, everyone's kind of bringing their own tactics to the table.
Interesting. And and explain to me the significance of them um, switching to uh, iPhone and Android user agents. Can do, what's the background on that? Why does that matter? It, yeah. So it, it matters because the most important and fundamental concept to to when you get into like organized bots, right? Like we're not talking about the, the person who goes and writes a bot to pull down the weather for the day or some like recreational uh, hobby. When you get into people who are writing bots for professional reasons, whether malicious or non-malicious, it's all incentivized by money, right? It, it becomes an actual operation that involves uh, investment, both in time, effort, and research. And what happens is, in the defense against really advanced and sophisticated actors, it's not always about stopping every single request, but it becomes more about how do you thwart their ability to operationalize and make a business off of this. Hmm. And so what we saw is that as the defenses were put in place of them, they actually had to invest more time, more effort, and more research into you know, detecting these, you know, figuring out these detection tactics on our side. But more importantly, it forced them to have to evolve and move from desktop to mobile. And that actually increases the cost of operations for them, just because those are more expensive devices to get a hold of. And so what ends up happening is as they evolve, you're actually forcing the cost of their operations to go up. And you know, again, for very advanced and persistent actors, if you can force that bottom line to a point where it almost makes the whole effort or operation uh, pointless, you almost discourage the, the motivation to a point where they're going to go away. Hmm. So it, it's a pretty interesting phenomenon that, that we see oftentimes in the bot space is that if there is enough of a financial incentive behind these things, they're never going to go away. And there's correlations to, to why that could happen. You know, if you're the only person who has that, uh, that particular data set or you're just a high-value target that particularly happens to hold very valuable data sets, you, know, you start to correlate the persistence and advanced natures of these attacks to that type of thing. In this case, with the, the GIF ghost bot, I mean, this was a direct pipeline into being able to validate very real money that can be in turn either resold or leveraged in financial transactions as a real medium to get very real goods and services in, in the world. And I, I suppose from the retailer's point of view, they're, they're, obviously it would be great to shut down these bots altogether, but uh, you know, selfishly, if I just make it harder for them to come at me than the store down the street, that's a good outcome for me as well. Yeah, so the, the security world is a really interesting one in that um, de defense can be relative, especially in the bot space, right? If you build your defenses just slightly better than you know the the competitor down the street you've more or less made it extra difficult to go after you and so we do see this behavior where bots tend to go towards the path of least resistance that still allows them to accomplish their goal so you putting up even 
you know, medium, medium effort, medium level defenses. And if your competitor or competitors don't have those, it, it, you've really secured yourself from, from being less of a target for, for those bot writers. Hmm. Can you give us some, some insights you know, on, a, on a high level um, when you all are protecting an organization against bots? Um, what's going on there? How, how are you blocking the bots but still allowing the, the normal uh, legitimate users to get through? Yeah, so for the still now Imperva, the, the way our bot detection system is built is that when a client makes a request to an application, um, we're doing a series and multi-layered interrogation against that client to ultimately make a decision around, hey, are you human or not? And so hmm. Some of those interrogation steps get down to very simplistic things like, hey, is your user agent legitimate? Are you coming from a valid source? Are you coming from like a hosting center? You know, are, are you just doing something that you, you otherwise shouldn't? All the way into more advanced stuff like, hey, are you running a JavaScript engine? And, and even as the space has evolved and progressed, we're doing more and more algorithmic and probabilistic decision-making via machine learning of whether the behaviors themselves are suspect. Hmm. And so all of this decision-making is happening in real time on every request very seamlessly. And so when, when our customers are leveraging our platform and technology to effectively protect their applications and endpoints, we, you know, we're more or less running those interrogations and, and making very real-time programmatic decisions uh, that, that ultimately know how to uh, siphon out the uh, bot traffic while still allowing, you know, someone who's just going to the site non-maliciously and, and there to, you know, help promote and generate revenue for that business, you know, those types of users won't be impacted. So what are your recommendations um, for the retailers in order to uh, best protect themselves? What sort of steps can they put in place? I think first things first, it, it just comes down to sitting down and looking at all of the functionality of the web application and, and making sure that the business units are very tightly connected at the hip with, with the security teams of those organizations. E even into today, I think a lot of organizations see security as kind of second to growth of the business, you know, re revenue preservation, all of these things that, that are very obviously friendly for the business. And security is always kind of taken the back seat short of those, that, those early adopters and kind of pioneers of the space. And more and more, we're starting to see that organizations are realizing the severity of and true damage of these you know, cybersecurity attacks and, and things like that. So I think first things first, it's just sitting down and taking a mature posture on security practices within your web applications and mobile applications and making sure that when you guys, you know, roll out these new functionalities, that they're being really considered and understood at that, you know, cybersecurity layer where, yes, it may be a good thing for the business, you know, ex exactly as the example for this gift GhostBot um, attack is the people behind that functionality are probably thinking, hey, this is a huge win for our team. You know, no more do people have to call in and ask a person at the support desk what the balance is, but it's actually, hey, I can just go to the website, very seamlessly interact with the application to get a validation of my balance and, and move on. Mm. Um, 
but when you do that, when you introduce that functionality on the website, you end up now allowing someone to directly talk to your your database of gift cards and and more or less get creative and come up with scripts to you know guess guess these balances and, and cash out and, and fraudulently steal money from from your customers. So I think it just starts with with having a mature cyber you know posture on security and making sure that the business teams are very in lockstep with with the security team. And I think more more tactically, I would just make sure that the security teams are constantly scanning the web applications and you know looking for anomalous behavior in uh, in the logs that they have available and making sure that the tooling is giving them insight into those types of attacks. And obviously, as the security space evolves and, and new problem sets arise, uh, you know, just doing some some education around it and talking with vendors, it's always you know a really healthy thing to to stay on top of this stuff. Is there anything to be gained by um, you know doing any kind of rate limiting or, or things like that to you know keep it within the range of, of normal requests you would expect, but keep uh, these high volume requests from being able to go through? I, I think that that's really where it, it gets it gets interesting and where the problems that really start to get complex is that you know a, a person looking at this who, who may not have boots on the ground and, and, and like their nose close to the grindstone sees it as, hey, this is a huge flood of traffic. How come we can't just rate limit this or put barriers around how many requests that uh, a client or a user can make? The, the reality is that you know with a, with a WAF, like a web application firewall, wall, um, it, it all boils down to how the, the system is detecting an, an individual user. And, and if the adversary can spoof and obfuscate their identity with relative ease, the idea of rate limiting against these types of attacks gets really hard. Hmm. Um, and that's really where a bot detection system is coming in and able to do more granular identification to truly say, hey, I know you're doing all of this stuff to obfuscate your behavior, but I still know that you are you, and the rate limiting becomes a lot more effective. So it is good practice to have rate limiting in place and particularly around these types of application functionalities. But when you get into advanced bot attacks, these are people who have done their research and reconnaissance efforts on your applications to more or less know how to beat and circumvent those types of, of rate limit measures. It's just a constantly evolving space. And, and uh, I think in the next five years, the, the bot space will continue to evolve, and, and it's going to be a, a very interesting um, sector to be in. And it's something that a lot of companies who have serious revenue invested in their their online presence, their web applications, they should be legitimately concerned about and making sure that they're keeping their security practices and protocols and tools um, up to par with what every day is an evolving space. Our thanks to Jonathan Butler from Distill Networks for joining us. The research is titled, Gift Ghost Bot Attacks E-Commerce Gift Card Systems Across Major Online Retailers. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. 
Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their SASE journey, visit netskope.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.